Kia ora, no mai, haere mai, and welcome to the Able Audio Podcast. Music technology provides musicians with exciting ways of making and recording music, but so often, both musicians and technology companies leave out the needs of disabled peoples. I'm Sam Morgan, a musician and producer based in Te Whanganui Atara, Wellington and Aotearoa, New Zealand. I have a degenerative eye condition, which has meant that over the last few years, attending shows and going to gigs has become increasingly difficult. I'm also having to work out what it means for me in the coming years if I'm to lose my sight, how will I continue to make music in such a computer-focused space. This podcast seeks to bring to light the exciting work people are doing in this space, elevating the voices and concerns of disabled people in music technology. In each episode, I talk to a different music technologist about their practice, background in music, and how their work interacts with the world of disability. Welcome to the Able Audio Podcast, proudly brought to you by the New Zealand Music Commission. In this episode, we talk to Amble Skews. Amble is a musician and artist, working with found sound, voices, electronic processing, and site-specific locations. She works with oral history archives, interviews, community memories, radio interviews, found sounds, and site-specific compositions to explore myriad identities in myriad locations. She explores these ideas of identity and power through a lens of intersectional feminism. Her focus is on disability, and she is currently studying for a PhD looking at ways in which a disabled composer, performer, can utilise technology as a tool for composing, improvising, and performing. In 2021, Amble's work, We Ask These Questions of Everybody, premiered. It's a 50-minute live and digital operatic event sharing disabled people's experiences under austerity in the UK, performed by an exceptional cross-genre, all-disabled ensemble. Here's my conversation with Amble. So yeah, at the moment I'm working with a dancer and a martial artist and we've got a bunch of um, body sensors and I create like um, uh, a patch in live where the sensors are connected to different parameters on processing. Mm. Um, So it's never really clear what the sensors will do because they're all connected in series. So if one is up and the other one's down and then you move and the other one goes up and the other one goes down, then you'll get a different response every time. Um, So as the dancer and the um, martial artist move, it creates um, uh, a soundscape, basically. So their bodies become instruments. And I'm really interested in how, like this, we might be able to use this with um, with disability. So it's that we're not intentionally creating a sound. We're not intentionally saying, right, if you move your arm in this way, then you will get a drum beat. But it's really kind of abstract. It's like as the body moves, it generates something. And you don't really know what it's going to generate. But that's part of the kind of uh, collaboration with the sound and collaboration with the sound maker. So you create an audio sound world and as you move through that world, your gestures and your movements create a very specific sound world. I was um, looking at one of your works, Normalised Interfacing, and it talks about how can we, we can only interface with our environment through our body and explores what happens when you don't possess a body that your city was built for. And it kind of frames having a physical disability as unique. Could you 
talk more about that? No, I mean, the the thing that I found is that the way that I interact with a city um, is really different from the way most people interact with a city. Before I had my wheelchair, like, I would have to think, like, well, how far is something? Um, will I be able to stop and sit on the way? Will I be able to rest when I get there? How will I get back? What if there were any detours? And then once I did have the wheelchair, I realized that a lot of a lot of cities are kind of made for convenience for non-disabled people. But then for a disabled person, the city almost sort of becomes a prison because I, I would use my car to get everywhere. But when I'm in a city, using a car becomes very tiring and very stressful because you've got traffic lights from pedestrians and you're stopping and you're starting as lots of other uh, lots of other cars around. Um, and then when you do get somewhere, you can't park your car, so you can't get close to the thing. You can't like, you know, and so everything in a city is sort of becomes a blockage for me. Mm. And when I was using my wheelchair, it was like, you know, I, I can't get from here to there because there's a step in the way or there's a curb or I might get to the end of this lane and then there's three steps. And so I have to turn around and come back again. So this idea of mapping a city became really interesting because I found I was doing it anyway every time I went out somewhere, especially somewhere new you I wouldn't have a map in my head and there wasn't really a map anywhere which would tell me like what are the routes you can take as a wheelchair user you know so there's nothing on google maps which would be like oh yeah you go this way and then you get halfway there and there's no ramp or there's a curb and you you know or there's a bus route but you can't get on the bus and so this idea of saying a city to somebody who has a mobility impairment is a very different place and people who don't have that never really see that so I was really interested in trying to find a way to share that um the difference of experience with the listeners so I started to make the sound walks um and so partially I'm using like my wheelchair becomes an instrument because my wheelchair kind of goes clack 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 you know mm. depending on what ground you're on if you cobbles or if you're on tiles or if you're on wood if you're on gravel like the wheelchair kind of becomes an instrument and it starts to play the city in a way the texture becomes part of you know it's like a, a the the groove in a record and then the, the 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 wheelchair is the needle of the record that creates the sound so partially i'm using that and then partially i'm also creating a narrative so if people are um following the sound walk but are not disabled or not um mobility impaired anyway they're getting to hear my thoughts about the place they're standing and explain to them like well I would go down there but then once we get round there I'm not really sure if we'll be able to get out so what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to go up here and it's a longer route but actually it's more likely that you know so I'm sort of talking it through with people um but then sometimes I make them do things which are awkward so like mm. I'll take them somewhere and and there'll be steps at the end I'm like okay you're not going to go up those steps you're going to turn around and we're going to go all the way back to where we were before yeah <laughs> it's kind of allowing them into that world and, and allowing people to see the city from the point of view of somebody who's mobility impaired and uh, like yeah lifting the veil on that a little bit yeah. and sharing it in a way yeah uh, and one of the sun walks you choose to narrate it quite quietly could you explain yeah. the intention behind that i think sometimes i find um 
I get really like sensory overwhelmed when I'm like super tired and like I find it really like it takes a lot of processing power for me to understand what people are saying or like if there's um like multiple noises so like if I'm in a cafe and there's there's like the clanking of the coffee machine and people talking and I'm talking to somebody else like my brain doesn't always differentiate between those things it just gives me all of that at the same time and so I'm using a lot more energy to figure out what you're saying than most people would so I don't know if you if you've heard about psychoacoustics but there's basically the the brain doesn't give you all the information you're hearing and seeing it gives you the stuff it thinks you need Mm. um so in a in a cafe you might walk in and go oh it's loud in here but after like a couple of seconds your brain goes oh you don't need to hear the coffee machine you don't need to hear the background noise and it starts to filter that out and only give you the conversation and when my brain gets a little bit glitchy it stops doing that and so it's giving me everything at the same volume (laughs) so I'm just sitting like oh Jesus I can't oh and so part of the reason yeah, 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 yeah. But also, like, I have to really concentrate to kind of mm. pick out what somebody's saying because all the other stuff is like getting in the way. So part of the reason that I I did it really, I recorded it really quietly was that I wanted other people to have to concentrate as hard as I do, and I wanted other people to experience that utter frustration of how hard it is to hear the thing you're trying to hear. And like, especially like if you're in the street and there's cars going by and you're trying to listen to a sound walk and you can't hear it. For me, that's like a really experiential thing. Like it's one thing to tell people, oh, I feel really glitchy and my brain's not giving me sound properly. It's another thing to kind of put them in that situation where they're experiencing that as well. Mm. Um, So that was one reason I did it. And then another reason I did it was like, because I sort of wanted them to feel like my voice was inside their brain. And I think that's one of the nice things you can do with headphones is that depending on how you mix things, you can make things feel incredibly intimate and incredibly kind of interior. And like sometimes when I was mixing, there was one time I was mixing in Germany in my Airbnb and there was a blackbird outside singing. But it also it was on the track called Blackbirds and Builders. And there was a blackbird on the track and it was just like I'm... I can't tell if I'm trying to mix a blackbird that's in the headphones or trying to mix a blackbird that's currently outside the window. Mm, and there's mm. a beautiful kind of, I mean, you don't get it on the track because it was afterwards and it's hard to kind of give to people, but it's that sort of vagary of space that like I didn't, I kind of didn't, I wanted them not to know if they were hearing the blackbird on the track or if it was in the real world when they're yeah. on the sound and so if you're on a sound walk and you hear like a really subtle sound and you're like is that on the track or is that is that that bird up there or like did that car just go past me or was that on the track so I kind of wanted to kind of try and really subtly blend what it was like when I was there with with their experience of being there and not block out the real world but allow them to hear both at the same time yeah, so the opera, um, I made it with Toria Banks, who's an amazing artist. She's a theatre director and a dramaturg, and she also runs an opera company called Hera, um, which champions uh, female opera. And she has the same condition as I do. Um, and so it was like super interesting. Just like we we didn't really have to talk about access issues very much. We just did things our normal way and it just worked for both of us in that way. So the opera is, I don't know, like 
so I don't know how things are in New Zealand for um, uh, disabled people. Um, so I'll just explain the system in the UK is that they have this thing called PIP, which is personal independence payment. And as a disabled person, you apply for it um, and you fill in a form, um, which is enormous and really intrusive. You know, asks about how you wash and whether you can make a cup of tea and a piece of toast and how many steps you have to your front door and, you know, can you go to the toilet on your own? Like it's really uncomfortably intrusive because I think what I found from talking, like interviewing disabled people is that a lot of disabled people minimalize the awfulness of things because they don't want to have to look at it every day. And so you just kind of accept it and then start to ignore it and go, you know well this is fine I can this is fine this is okay but then suddenly when you get a form and you have to admit all the shit things in your life it's like it's really hard on your mental Mm. health Mm. to fill in a form yeah actually I can't do that I can't do that this is shit and this is Mm. awful and I haven't left the house in five days and you know all of those things that you just kind of say to yourself well no this is fine I'm fine I'm fine I'm fine so anyway you have to fill in this form um, and you send it off and then eventually they invite you for an interview which is done by a qualified nurse but they're pro- they're employed not by the health service but by a private company who are it's it's turned out they are under instructions to only give a quota of disability grants so they were told to turn people away um so it's quite a big scandal in the uk um so basically what would happen was people would go into the meeting be interviewed and the nurse would write down not what they said but what would get them kicked off the list and then people would get their results back from the interview and say oh no you're not entitled to anything because this is and this and they'd be like well that's not right that's not what i said like what the fuck and then you would go to tribunal but it would basically be your word against theirs um and they said and then it got people started to record their interviews um so that they could prove that the people writing down the uh responses were lying and they were told you can only record your interview on a cassette tape you have to have two cassette tapes identical cassette machines Lo-fi. which run on <laughs> yeah which run on batteries yeah um so like the first time i went for my pip interview i had one cassette tape with batteries in it because um you're not allowed to bring anything into the room and plug it in in case it's electrically unsafe and causes fire so it has to be battery powered and i had one cassette tape and one and my phone and i was going to record it and the idea is you give them one of the cassette tapes so that you can't edit it afterwards and they were like, oh, no, it has to be two cassette tapes, so you can't edit either of them. And I was thinking, well, if you've got the cassette tape and I've got my phone, I can't edit it anyway because you've got the original. But no, apparently, so then my first PIP interview ended at that point where they mm. said, no, you can't. Um, and so I went away and got another cassette recorder. And what's really fun is that amongst the disabled community, there are now sets of tape recorders that people give to each other specifically (laughs) for PIP interviews. So I just put a shout out on my Facebook saying, has anyone got any PIP tape recorders? Because they have to be very specific ones. Yeah. And then somebody who just done theirs gave me them and then I used them and then I passed them on to somebody else. (laughs) Because it's like you have literally it's a piece of gear from the 80s. It is. Yeah. 
Um, oh. Then you have to ring up and get permission to record in advance. So when I had when I phoned up to get permission to record, I put my phone on speakerphone and I recorded them giving me permission to record because then otherwise what happens is that you record it, they you give them a copy of the tape, you keep a copy of the tape, they lie in the interview, it comes back as saying you're not entitled to anything and then um, you go to tribunal to sit in front of a judge to say this is all lies and I've got it on tape and they say oh, she never had permission to record the interview. And there's no evidence that this is actually her interview. This could be anybody. And so they basically say, you can record it to protect yourself. But if you don't record us giving you permission to record it, then we'll just lie and say you never had permission that the wow. tapes can't be heard in court. It's like insane. they do everything in their power to fuck you up yeah and so this is what happens to the girl in the in the opera and it's a, everything in the opera is verbatim we didn't make any of it up so she gave us a copy of her tape and everything you hear in the opera is on her tape it's mm. all real all of it is real and that's what is just so mind-bendingly disgusting um and they did the same to her. They tried to claim that she'd never had permission to record the interview yeah. when she went to court. And she had a recording of them giving permission. And she then phoned them back and plays them it over the phone and says, oh, this is one of your advisors giving me permission to record. And they were like, oh, we must have made a mistake. Oh, here's your pip. And it's like, mm. so, yeah, everything. So the, the, the opera is broken up into like, um, verses and choruses and the verses are two singers playing the role of the disabled woman and the nurse and the nurse is singing the interview and she's singing her responses and it's all verbatim it's all transcribed off this tape um that we were given uh and we've we've agreed not to disclose the identity of the person um because she asked us not to um and the singing is all verbatim as well. So I would like mm. listen to the phrases over and over again and play the pitches and the rhythms of the of how they spoke. Um and they were sung by the the nurses sung by Victoria Orowari, who's um a blind singer, and the part of Hannah, who's the disabled woman, is played by Steph West, who has a condition a bit like mine, but also has a hand difference. So she has, I think, I think it's a form of gigantism. And so some of her fingers are fused, basically. She's had lots and lots of operations on her hand. She also plays the harp in the piece. Um, so we have a really simple continuo backing. So it's almost like a kind of um, early opera, um, like a continuo Baroque style opera. We have a harp and a clarinet, um, and that's it, and electronics. The clarinet is played by Sonia Alori, who is also a disabled musician. Um, and then we have Clarence Adu, who's a disabled musician, and he's triggering samples. So I built him a sampler. He He's paralysed from the neck down, um, and he has a mouse that he can control with a stick in his tongue, um, and he pushes it around with his tongue, and then when he blows into the tube, it creates a click. So I made a sampler in Max MSP where he can trigger the samples for the piece by pushing the cursor around with his tongue and then clicking on different buttons to wow. trigger the samples. And it 
there's a couple of creative things in there so he can like multi-trigger so it it triggers the same sample over the top of each other yeah. and he has control over like volume and stuff like that um and so the choruses then between the interview sections the choruses are made up of interviews I did with disabled people, just talking to them about life, society, whether they feel safe, what they think people think of them, um, finding a community within disabled people, um, how they experience their day-to-day -day life. And then mm. we and Toria amazingly kind of went through all of that and found themes and cut them up into different sections. So each course has a slightly different kind of feel to it and a different subject matter. We loaded the samples of the people speaking. Again, we got full consent and told people like what we wanted to use and made sure they consented to all of that because that was super important to us ethically. Mm. Um, we loaded those samples into the sampler and then Clarence improvises the triggering of those samples. So he, um, and it was like really important to me that I gave the power to the disabled people in the show. So, I think as a composer, quite often we tell people what to do and they have to do it. And I think for disabled performers, that can be a problem. And it's about reinforcing power structures. It's about trying to force people into a box that I've decided is what has to happen and you have to force your body to do it. And all of that just felt really wrong in terms of disabled theory. I kind of wanted people to be able to define their own space and to do what they wanted to do. So all of the choruses are improvised between um, Clarence on the sampler, Steph on harp, um, Sonia on clarinet and me on electronics. And so anybody on any given day could give as much or as little as they wanted to. Um, and then I could take it back and kind of chop it up and make it work later. So it was not a like I've seen models of disabled ensembles where the conductor or a composer is telling the disabled people well you have to be able to play this virtuosic bit on Tuesday at nine o'clock and like you probably know like with a fluctuating condition sometimes you can and sometimes you can't and if the answer to the conductor or the composer is like I don't know if I can do that then certainly within classical music there's this sort of worship of um brilliance and it's like well if you can't do it we'll get someone who can mm. and for me that's not accessible that's not a disabled friendly way of doing things because you have yeah. to acknowledge that sometimes people are brilliant and sometimes they're not and actually that's okay yeah and so we tried to build that into the making of the opera that people could if they weren't on form it didn't matter and they could just give as much as they wanted to and if that was just long notes then we could do something with that and mm. it wasn't a case of oh well you failed today you know it's like yeah. you did what you wanted to do today and that's fine i really enjoyed talking to amble being able to discuss her experiences as a disabled artist issues of accessible and universal design and how often in music technology the computer can be seen as a tool for empowerment and access this podcast has been funded by the New Zealand Music Commission and brought to you with help from producer Jesse Austin-Stewart and Arts Access Aotearoa. I'm Sam Morgan and this has been the Able Audio Podcast.